And I start with verse 35 in John chapter 6. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. In, in the psalm that I read this morning, it says God is our salvation. He holds our salvation. He is our salvation. It belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Very important verse. And a lot of people, when they talk about faith and Christianity, they talk about that salvation is what happens when they're converted. When they give their life to Christ, I have salvation. But it's clear that salvation belongs to God and salvation is the end of our faith. Scripture even says that. It is not the beginning of our faith. The beginning of our faith is at conversion, at becoming one in Christ and choosing Him over all others. In our life, when we give our lives to Christ, the beginning of faith happens when one particular event occurs at that moment when we convert our agenda to His. And why would you ever convert your agenda and your life patterns and your desires and what you plan to do with your life if you don't trust who He is? Or if you don't know who He is? It makes no sense. But if He is who He says He is, and he does what he says he does, then it makes all the sense in the world to change your will for his, your agenda for his, and his plan for your life rather than the one that you choose. And to learn what that is. And so with that in mind, this passage rattles me. And I trust that it will rattle you too, in a good way. And I'm going to start with where he says in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. 
However, when he says that, it sounds really good. Oh, yes, amen, Jesus. Whoever comes to you will never thirst or hunger. And I'm thinking, yes, that's a good statement. You're the bread of life. Of course that's true. But is it an actual experience for you? Do you actually experience never hungering or thirsting for spiritual things again when you come to Him? Have you hungered or thirsted? Have you come to some dry spots? Have you come to some places where you wondered where God is and hungered for more of Him? And wondered what He was doing? So, is this verse for you a pipe dream? Is it really your experience of Jesus Christ? Do you hunger and do you still thirst for righteousness and holiness that only He provides? Or has it become your reality? If it has not, what causes you to miss the message? Now, Jesus says this, and then He begins to explain why we don't get that. And He continues to explain it all the way down to verse 44, and we still don't get it. And it's, it's amazing to me how hard it was for me to take off my own blinders and personal perceptions and biases and slant on things to get out of the way to hear Jesus. I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing right now. I'm going to start with verse 36. He says, I said to you, that you see me and yet you do not believe. Now this word see is the word that is called, I think I pronounced this right, it's heel rakate. Heel rakate, translated see. It means to stare or to glare or to keep looking at something. It's a sense of just... Just observing and staring. And he says, you have stared at me. You've glared at me. You've looked at me, but you don't believe. And that's because that word means that you look with your eyes at something, but you don't engage your mind or your heart. This is what happens. We read the Scripture and we see it, but somewhere between the head and the heart, it stops. And we need to get it all the way in so it can be a part of who we are, so the Word can feed us and we can grow. And Jesus is saying, you've seen Me. And this, He's talking to people who have come from the feeding of the 5,000 to find Him and they, and, and they saw Him take five loaves of bread and feed 5,000 with 12 baskets left over. They saw Him do that. They did not see Him provide the bread. They saw Him give them bread. They stopped somewhere in, how did this happen? And let's do it again. They didn't see that a miracle happened. They saw a full belly and Jesus is the source. Physical appearances. 
they don't have this spiritual enlightenment that says, what's going on here, God? What more am I missing that is causing me not to see this man as who he is? It's a question I've asked myself. What part of me is still blind to all of who Jesus is? It's a good question. What in me blocks seeing Jesus and totally surrendering in all areas? And Jesus kind of says something here and almost almost scary if you're worried about your relationship with Jesus. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And I'm going, well, that means some don't come because the Father didn't give them. Or, or maybe you might think, I don't know if I've come to Jesus or not. Does, did, did the Father give me to Jesus? Am I, am I part of that? Or am I, am I on the outskirts? And that's what that verse sounds like. But do not miss what's coming up. He says, The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's the part he's saying. We focus on the first half. All who the Father gives me will come to me. And we're thinking, well, is that me too? I don't know. And so we don't connect the second part once we get the answer to the first part. That Jesus will never cast out anyone who comes to Him. Nobody. And you go, but, but, but did He draw me too? Did He mean me? Did the Father draw me? Did He? <laughs> did He draw you too? Well, let's see. Because He answers that in just a moment. First of all, he says, I've come down from heaven. There's that, I've come down from heaven. That phrase right there messed the listeners up. The Jewish listeners got stuck on that phrase. I have come down from heaven. They know who he is. They know that Mary and Joseph are his parents. They know that. Obviously, they know that. Because they know Him. They've seen Him. They've watched Him grow up. They know His lineage. A carpenter. Father. They may not know the story of His birth or whether or not they believe that Mary really was impregnated by the Holy Spirit and not some other man besides her husband. They may not believe that but they know where he came from. Right? Don't they? They've seen him. They know. Right? What they see, they've looked at Jesus, looked at his family, so they know who he is. He says, I've come down from heaven. They're going, No. no you're, you're, you're Mary's kid. You came from Mary. You come from heaven, you came from Mary. Right there, they miss everything else he says. Nothing else that he says do they get because they can't understand that he didn't come from Mary, he came from heaven. Instead, they argue, how can he say that? Here's what happens when you don't have faith. You argue the truth. And you try to make it fit your understanding instead of making your understanding fit the truth. That's what happens all the time. And so he says, 
I have come down from heaven. Then he says, why? Not to do my own will. And what we learn by will is agenda. Not to do my own agenda, but the will of or the agenda of him who has sent me. I am a messenger, a broker of the Father in heaven doing what he bids. I am bringing from heaven to you what he wants. I'm the broker. We talked about that a few weeks ago in a message and how that broker relationship works. And so he says, I've come down to do that. And this, in verse 39, is the will of the Father who sent me. He just said, I've come to do the will of his who sent me. Now he's saying this is the will, the agenda of him who sent me. Sent, sent. That's the brokerage terms. He was sent. He didn't choose it. He was sent. That all of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. All that he has given me, I should lose nothing. And here's that question in our head he just raised a minute ago. All who the Father draw to me will come to me. All who the Father gives me, I will lose nothing. That's his agenda. But if I'm not sure I'm really his, then I might not be a part of what he doesn't lose. Right? There's that fear that goes up inside. How do I really know that I'm His? How do I know I really belong? He says, but I will raise it up, all that He has given me at the last day. He has just said that if you belong to Him, He will raise you up at the last day. Now, there's, a, there's a lot in there about that last day. We could talk about end times, when this is going to happen, what part of last day is he talking about, all this stuff. But that is not relevant. What is relevant is he said, he will do it. That Jesus will raise you up at the last day. The Jews don't hear that. They're hearing, this is Mary and Joseph's boy, I don't understand this. And he's going, I'm going to raise you up at the last day. That's, that's great news. That's messianic. That's the Christ and only the Christ who can do that. Nobody else can make that claim. But they don't hear it because they're still struggling with whose boy he is. Their cultural understanding is that Jesus was born to a carpenter and that honor level is very low in society. So how can he claim any of this stuff because he doesn't have honor according to our society and our understanding of what that means. He was born lowly. Scripture even says He was born humbly, lowly, in a manger. Not as a royalty, but humbly. And people in that society said, well, He can't be a great person unless He comes from great things. And we know where this man came from. We flip it on ourselves though in our society. We say, I can't do great things. I know where I've come from. I know what I've done. But in their society, it was your family lineage that made you great or not. And they're stuck that he's in their own family. Can't come from heaven. He's Mary's boy. (laughs) And then he says in verse 40 again, and this is the will of him who sent me the agenda that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. 
Now, it sounds a little parallel to that verse where he says, I say to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe. And then here he says, whoever sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. But you see, we get stuck in our own minds and our own English when we look at the word see in two different places and think it means the same thing. But in verse 40, that's a completely, totally different word and it changes everything Jesus says to us. In verse 40, the word is theoborone. For see. It's the same English word. It's a completely different Greek word. And the word means to perceive beyond just looking at something. To engage in something to the point that you believe in it. That you understand it and that you are involved with it and connected to it on a deeper level. He says everyone who does that, who doesn't just look at me, but engages and engages their mind and their heart in looking at me and seeing who I really am, begins to see who I am as I am, and that goes to belief. When you believe in Jesus Christ, faith begins to have fruit and root in you, which then grows up into salvation, which is the end of your faith. In verse 36, Jesus is saying, you glared at me, but you never saw me. In 40, he says, if you look and engage with me, you will have everlasting life. Hear this again. Jesus is saying, I will give you everlasting life. Who can say that? I can't give you that. A son of a carpenter can't give you that. Only one, the Messiah, can give you that. And Jesus is saying this, and that I will have everlasting life for you and I will raise you up at the last day. There he said, at the last day a second time. Not only this, you will have everlasting life and I'm going to raise you up. It's all about believing in me, believing into me, knowing who I am. That's what it's all about. Engaging with me. Not trying to put your biases, but learning who I am. Take upon me my yoke and learn of me, he says. Not think you know who he is. Learn. And sometimes learning Jesus Christ takes a lot of effort. It takes time. It takes intentionality. Maybe this year can be your year to do that. And then they started complaining because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. Um, he says that in verse 35. And verse 38. The first part of verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Verse 38, I've come down from heaven. So they take those two sections and they miss everything else. Here he is. He says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they complain. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I've come down from heaven? You understand, you can't have faith and argue semantics. Your faith won't grow in semantic arguments. 
And that's what they're doing. They're grumbling against Him. How can He say He's come down from heaven? Blah, blah, blah. And they don't understand He's just given them the Messianic promises. They've just had four proofs of Messiah and they're arguing about whether or not His mom and dad are legitimately who, where, and He came from. Do you think they're missing the message? Because they don't understand the messenger? And they don't understand the messenger not because of who the messenger is, but because of the stuff in the head that themselves and the culture and their upbringing has taught them that has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. You and I have the same stuff going on. doesn't look the same as theirs, but we have it. And Jesus answers and said to them, Stop grumbling. Stop murmuring among yourselves. Shut up! That's what He's saying. Shut that stuff down. Shut it down. You're going to miss the message. Shut it down. Listen to what I'm saying. Look at me. Oh, we saw you. I looked and I saw you. You're Joseph's boy. Yeah, I saw you. I know all there is to know about you because I know your parents. Is that true? If someone knows your parents, they know everything about you. And what makes you valid? What makes you important? What makes you have significance because of your parents? No, but a lot of us start there, don't we? Like father, like son. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And sometimes that's a compliment and sometimes that's a curse to somebody. But the truth is, each person stands on their merit before Jesus Christ. This is what their culture does not see. Each person has merit. It doesn't say, all who are this family who come to me, drawn by the Father, I will accept. It doesn't say that. It says, each person on their own, on their own being drawn. And again we go, but does that mean me? Verse 44, No one can come to me, no one, unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. But, who does the Father draw? And how does Jesus draw? And how does the Father draw to Him? Well, if we were reading the Gospel of John from the beginning, and read it through to the end, we would know the exact answer to that question. And I'll tell you why. Because we've been through the first six, almost six chapters of this book, and in a couple of chapters back, he begins to answer that before he says it. He gives us a clue. And maybe you're going, well, where's that at? Well, let's take a look. John chapter 3. Ever read that John 3.16? It's two verses before. might want to add this one to your memory. John 3.14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now he's talking about Moses raised a snake on a stick, right? So as Moses lifted the serpent on a stick, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on a stick for the healing of those who will look at Him. Trust me that He's the source of your healing and restoration. You say, yes, I understand that, but whoever God draws... 
But listen to a little later in the Gospel of John where he finishes the thought. He says, I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to me. All people are drawn. If you keep saying, but did he mean me? Yes! He even says you. All people are drawn. If He was crucified and resurrected, if you believe and see Him on the cross, it means you for your healing. Yes, that's what it means. And I will raise you up, He says. You do your part, I'll do mine. we got a contract. A covenant. A relationship. I'm going to bless you and love you into eternity. You just love me and bless me as who I am and stop your junk and telling me it isn't true. That I'm not reality. You keep missing the message with the stuff in your head. Don't poke yourself that hard. That hurt. I got a little excited. So is this a pipe dream that Jesus will satisfy your thirst and cleanse your hunger? Absolutely not a pipe dream. It's an actual reality. And it happens when you come to the point where you know that Jesus Christ is who He said He is. He meant you when He said, Everybody comes to Me. I will bless and give everlasting life. And I will feed you in hunger. and You will no, no longer hunger and thirst. And we keep going, But you know, I've had some dry spells. And we have dry spells when we question whether or not we belong. Or whether He really meant me. And we lose power in our lives when we begin to question the validity of the Holy Spirit working through us that seals the relationship. Scripture says He said the Holy Spirit is a seal on your heart. And your heart is sealed by that Holy Spirit when that relationship with Jesus Christ comes. Do you miss Jesus' message because of your own slant? Your own thinking, your own fears and anxiety. Telling God what He said can't be for you because of what you believe about you rather than what He said is true about all. When you sing the song, Whosoever surely meaneth me, do you mean whosoever except for me? Or I'm not whosoever, I'm somebody, and the song doesn't apply? Or do you really believe that whosoever will believe in Him shall not perish? but have everlasting life. Whosoever. And the way you believe is you engage and see Him to the point where you trust Him. I'm going to tell you this in a simple way. We are not good at relationships in our country. We take things at face value at what people say and what they do rather than getting to know them and understand them. I'm going to tell you a story of something that happened in my home very recently. An amazing story, but kind of embarrassing at the same time. As a kid, I was the in my household the seventh kid to come along to my parents. And by the time I came along, the parenting skills that my parents had kind of got delegated. Nothing bad about that. As long as the people who do it parent. And so, 
If my parents stepped in, it was because they were doing a parental thing that my sisters, who were my pseudo-parents, were going to not do correctly or they didn't know what to do. In other words, they need some guidance on how to parent also. And one of those things was etiquette at the table. You're going to hear some biases and some slants that I learned very young in life about etiquette at the table. There were very few rules, about six that we had. One of them was don't dive at your food when you're eating. Others, if you take a bite, don't go like this. Sit straight and bring it to your mouth. Otherwise, you're lunging and it looks like you're being ravenous dogs. So that was one thing. The second thing was don't put your elbows on the table. Another one was do not talk with your mouth full. I've since learned that that one meant do not talk with any food in your mouth. Not with mouthful so you couldn't talk. But that one took a while to break to the right place. And then we had do not reach across someone else's plate. Do not reach in front of their plate while they're eating. Very, very bad. And then the last one was hold your fork like this. Not like this. You know how some people take a scoop like this and when they're kids they'll eat it like this or like that or and, and all sorts. My parents said, here's how you hold your fork. And they taught me that. When I was a kid, I had three utensils by my plate and I figured out what they were for. One was for stabbing, one was for cutting, and one was for scooping. I called them the cutter, the stabber, and the scooper. Life, fork, and spoon. It was their agenda, right? Okay. Great. Those are my etiquette growing up. Take this into our home now, and you will see if there's no spoon, the fork becomes the scooper. And the way you scoop is you drag it along and scoop it up. But if you drag a fork along a ceramic plate, it makes a screeching high pierce sound that my old ears don't hear. And everybody tells me all about it and says, I don't hear anything. And I'm just going as gently as I can. And finally, I had this thought. Let me try a different way. So I tried scooping this way, this way, front to back, back to front, always scooping with the fork because that was what I had. But in a moment of clarity, I said, I asked my wife, is there another way to do this? Because this is a scooper that is taking the place of the spoon. And so she, there's no joke. Even, even Katya's boyfriend knew what she was about to teach me. And I had no idea this existed. She said, actually the fork, you can take the back tines and push it and flick it into the fork. And I'm going, what? And you can mash it into the fork. And, you can, and, and my future son-in-law said, you can take the big thing and stab it and then get the little things with the big thing. Well, you can. He's going, yeah. And they're all looking at me like, you really don't know this. I'm going, no. And I'll tell you why. And this is how this relates to this sermon. Because as I grew up, my parents looked at my hand 
as I held the fork, and as long as I held the fork right, they saw I was doing it the right way. But I was not. I was only holding it right. So they didn't see me or watch how I ate. They only observed what they wanted to see, which they thought was proper etiquette for me. Nowhere in any of this did they really see what I was doing. They only saw what they wanted to see. And the same thing is true. So when I ate, I always looked to see how people held their fork. I never watched how they did the process. We get caught up in the details and miss the process and we miss what Jesus is saying. Just like I did. Because I think I've seen it. And it matches what I think is true. But here Jesus is saying it's for everybody. And yet we're going, but does it mean me too? And Jesus keeps saying it's for everybody. But, 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 but. And we throw these buts out there. And Jesus is going, shut up! Stop grumbling with yourself. Accept the truth and live in it. In the reality of who I am. And your life will never thirst or hunger again for knowing me. Or wondering if I'm with you and will raise you up. You will know. Because you moved from an idea to belief. You've engaged. And you've begun the process of faith believing into salvation. What is salvation? The raising up at the last day. That's the end of your faith. The beginning is to start seeing Jesus as He is. And stop telling Him what He can and cannot do with you. Because of who you are. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I've had so many biases in my life and slants that I couldn't even read this Scripture two months ago because it would have just come as a well, you know, you know, it's a, I haven't seen you and I need to see you type thing, but that's not what you said. What you said is that you haven't begun to engage because you haven't believed the truth about me because of your own biases. So Heavenly Father, I ask this morning as we get ready for communion that you would help us to strip away all things that say I'm not worthy. We never were, but you said we are in you. And the only requirement you ever had for us to come to the table was that we would trust that you are the one who draws us into the relationship with your body and your blood. That we come on your merits, not our own. And we don't have to fight or strive anymore once we learn that internally. So Heavenly Father, I ask you to do the work in us today, even as you will do it ongoing. I pray this, that we don't miss this message. In the name of the one above all names, Jesus Christ, the crucified, resurrected, and with us. Amen.